Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says, podcast number 18, The Star-Spangled Banner. Today we're going to teach you about the history of how that great song was made. You're going to like this story. Here it is, right from the radio show, The Star-Spangled Banner. Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. And today I've got a special story for you. I'm going to tell you about our national anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. These lessons and stories are important for Americans to know. When they know the truth, they'll do the right thing and vote in the right people. And we'll get this progressivism stuff cut right out of our government, like the cancer it is, and get back to being real Americans. Now, I've heard some people say they don't like the Star-Spangled Banner. They say it's a war song and they want a peaceful song. Well, I got news for them. This is our national anthem for good reason. Our nation was given the chance at life because of the blood of our forefathers that was spilled in war. Now, their sacrifice was total, and they knew it could be when they started out. Thousands of our men and women have sacrificed their lives so the rest of us could be free. Yes, we were free to even complain about our government, our flag, or even our national anthem. I sure hope it never changes. I'm going to tell you how it came to be written. It was at an extremely critical time during the War of 1812. It happened on September 12th and 13th, 1814. Now, I say 12th and 13th because it happened overnight. Uh, The British had been fighting the French, but earlier in the year, Napoleon had been beaten in Russia and forced to abdicate. That was the French. And and, and the French, (laughs) that war was all over, and that allowed the British to focus its full attention on the Americans, and they launched a three-pronged attack. They were going to just finish up this little war over here in the upstart American colonies. Well, one force went north, and they were going to come down at us from Canada, and one group went south to come from that direction, and and the third group came right at the center. Their plan was to cut our country in half, and then conquer each half one at a time. You know the divide-and-conquer principle? (laughs) And just one week before, the British within just five days had captured and burned Washington, D.C. to the ground. It looked like their plan was going to succeed. Now, one look at the map, and you can see that their next target was Baltimore. And once Baltimore fell, there'd be nothing to stop them from their goal. Everything depended on Fort McHenry, which guarded Baltimore. Fort McHenry just had to stop the mighty British fleet. Now, the commander of Fort McHenry was a Major George Armistead. Oh, and he was a real Yankee. Yes, sir, about eight months before, in in 1813, he ordered a flag made for the fort. Now, understand, our country was at war with England right at that time. It was 1813. Uh... But there weren't any British ships in the harbor or anything like that. But he wanted a flag so big that, and this is what he said, the British would have no trouble seeing it from a distance. <laughs> he asked a Mrs. Pickersgill, that's right, Pickersgill, to make that flag, and she and her 13-year-old daughter, she did it. They did it right. They used 400 yards 
of wool bunting. It had 15 stars, that's uh, for 15 colonies and then the two other states they had by then. And each one, each one of those stars was, was two feet wide from tip to tip. Each stripe was also two feet wide. And the whole thing, the whole thing was 30 feet by 42 feet. Yeah, and it cost $405.90. Yep, the British could see that flag for sure. Okay, now, the Star-Spangled Banner was written by Francis Scott Key. He was born August 1st, 1779 in Western Maryland. Now, so, so he was about 35 years old at the time of this story. His family was really very wealthy, and they owned an estate called Terra Rubra. <laughs> and, and when Francis was ten years old, his parents sent him to grammar school in Annapolis. Uh, see, after graduating at age 17, he began to study law in Annapolis. So, so he was an attorney with his uncle's law firm. And by 1805, he had a well-established law practice of his own in Georgetown. That's a suburb of Washington, D.C., now, by 1814, now this is when we had the war with, with England, he had appeared many times before the Supreme Court and had been appointed United States District Attorney. Now, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you'll know that this Francis Scott Key was no just little little guy. you got to be somebody special to argue cases in front of the Supreme Court. And that's what he was. Uh, so he was a pretty substantial fellow. Now, he, he was also a deeply religious man. At one point in his life, he almost gave up his law practice to enter the ministry. Instead, he resolved to become involved in the Episcopal Church, and because of his religious beliefs, oh, he was strongly opposed to the War of 1812. (laughs) But he did love his country. He was a patriot. And because of that, he served for a brief time in the Georgetown Field Artillery in 1813. Now, during the War of 1812, Dr. William Beans, uh, he he was a Baltimore physician and a close friend of Key. Well, he was taken prisoner by the British. And since Key was was such a well-known lawyer, he was asked to assist in efforts to get Dr. Beans released. Knowing that the British were in the Chesapeake Bay, Key left for Baltimore. There, Key met with Colonel John Skinner. He was a government agent who arranged for prisoner exchanges. Together, they set out on a small boat to meet the Royal Navy. They carried with them letters from British prisoners to whom Dr. Beans had ministered, who praised his work. On board the British flagship, uh, the officers were very kind to Key and Skinner. They agreed to release Dr. Beans. However, the three men were not permitted to return to Baltimore until after the bombardment of Fort McHenry. It was going to happen that night. The three Americans were held aboard the British warship, where Key and his friends watched the British bombard Fort McHenry. Now, the British had mortars that fired bombshells that weighed as much as, get this, 220 pounds, and they could fire them up to two miles away. Now, some of these were fused in time to explode over the heads of the defenders of the fort, raining shrapnel down on the men. 
Now, for much of the battle, the British bombshells were falling at the rate of one every minute, and they fired over 1,800 of them during the battle. Major Armistead estimated that over 400 fell into the fort itself. After 25 hours of continuous bombing, the British decided to leave since they were unable to destroy the fort, as they had hoped. <laughs> if we can't beat them, we just <laughs> just weather all their ammunition <laughs> until they're out of ammunition. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, realizing that the British had ceased the attack, Key looked forward to the fort to see if the flag was still there. And finally, through the smoke, to his relief, that flag was still flying. Quickly, he wrote down the words to a poem, which was soon handed out as a handbill under the title, Defense of Fort McHenry. It was renamed the Star-Spangled Banner by an adoring public. It became a popular patriotic song. It was not until 1931, however, that it became our national anthem. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. We're out of time today, but we're going to finish this story about the Star-Spangled Banner tomorrow. Till then, know that you're learning the truth. Tell your friends, speak with boldness, and keep your powder dry. <laughs>